Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speed Shop, brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by Mini Sports, specialising in the classic Mini since 1967. And we're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They sell Harley Davidsons, lots of them, and very lovely they are too. Find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. Michael Ward is one of the people behind Auto Italia magazine, just celebrating its 300th edition. It's Britain's best-selling and best-respected, even though I write for it, uh, magazine all about the Italian auto industry from Fiat to Ferrari. As long with his dad, who's a mate of mine, Phil Ward, he's written a book called Bialbero, and it's all about one of the most legendary engines of all time, the Fiat Twin Cam. My guest is Michael Ward. Mike, do you know what I nearly bought yesterday? What did you nearly buy? Uh, and, and, great, Jeremy Clarkson's greatest hit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a car. Could you guess which? Right. <laughs> could you guess which mark it was? It was going to be an Alpha. It was an Alpha. Uh, okay. Got a big. It's got to be one six six then, isn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't a one six six. It was. Ah. Oh, get this. It was a one five nine, but it yeah. was the. I couldn't believe how cheap it was, and I thought, "Wow, that is so cheap." And I, and then I, yeah. there was a voice, there was a voice in my head going, "That is so cheap." And then there was another voice going, "You need to sell cars, not buy them. You need to get rid of some cars. You do not need because. another car." Yeah. No. And I see what it was, Mike. It was a one five nine Quantum of Solace edition. Come on. Oh crikey! So. And What's again, bullet holes in it. <laughs> again, there was a voice in my head saying, "That's a great-looking car. It looks yeah. good on the outside. It's got great wheels, good interior, and yeah. as I seem yeah. to remember, it's as fast as an Aston Martin." Absolutely, absolutely. Because James Bond, bullet holes. <laughs> James Bond couldn't get away from those one five nines, could he? <laughs> Try well, as he might in his Aston Martin, <laughs> he couldn't get away from them. Well, that's, well, well, James Bond does strange things to cars, where an Aston Martin's as fast as a three five five, an old one. Oh, hold on a second. What was that? Was that a Bond movie where there's a three five five and an Aston Martin DB five? I suppose it would have to yeah. be. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. No, no, it was um yeah the, uh, the 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 iconic Aston Martin was being chased around the Monaco mountains by a, a nice pretty lady in a red three five five. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, she, she, she used to yeah she used to kill people by strangling them with her thighs. <laughs> My kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 quite quite a character. <laughs> right, let let's 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 nail this one. What's the best Italian Italian car in a Bond movie? Go on. Well, that's got to be GTV6, isn't it? Oh, I was going to say that. Come on. You know I was oh, going to say that. Sorry about that. You know I was going to well, say I could, that. I could, I could say one of Gigaro's finest on the Italian-designed uh, Lotus Esprit, but that would be cheating, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be cheating because, you know, the Lotus Esprit is a fine British product, even though <laughs> Gigaro's genius. Uh, you know my Gigaro story? You must have heard it a million times, yeah? Well, I've heard some stories, but what's, what's your Jajaro story? You right. Uh, no, it's... Uh, is he Michael or Fabrizio? Or is he both? I get confused, the son. Uh, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head. I should know that. You should. You can, you can Google that while I'm telling this anecdote. <laughs> I'm at Pebble <laughs> okay. Beach, and um, yeah. I go to use the washroom, as it would be called there, and it's all super swanky because yeah. it's Pebble Beach. And I go into the washroom and there are four or five gentlemen going about their business. One of whom I recognise as the genius of car design, Giorgetto Gigiaro. Yeah. And I think, yeah. oh, there's the genius of car design, Gigiaro. I'm going to speak to him. <laughs> but what I'm yeah. not going to do is disturb a gentleman while he's at the Pissoir. Because that's you know you don't a proper person doesn't do that, and then I thought no, it's, uh, it's not yeah no so I thought and I can't loiter because you know it's not the sort of place that you would loiter it's the Pebble Beach Concourse that's, it's proper it's proper posh right? it is indeed so I thought right he's Italian 
there'll be lots of faffing about with his coiffure at the mirror. <laughs> so I'll sort of, I'll take some time over washing my hands and I'll join him at the hand dryers. Yeah. yeah. So we stood next to each other drying our hands and I said to him, straight in. You like, you like this, straight in. Maestro. Like this, straight in maestro. Right. <laughs> so he perks up, because obviously he is. He thinks, yeah, there's a man of taste yeah. and discernment. Maestro. He said, maestro, your greatest design. Yeah. And I could see he was having a proper think as he was, was drying yeah. his hands. And it, and it wasn't like those loud, horrible air machines or paper towels. It was Pebble Beach, yeah. so it was linen. It was, you, you know it's posh when it's linen, right? Absolutely. So he's there drying his hands. And he got to the door... He got all the way to the door. I knew he was going to yeah. speak, but there was a, a big pause. It was longer than a yeah. Clarkson pause. There was a big <laughs> pause. And he said, he looked at me and he pointed at me, which would have been rude had he been British, yeah. but he's Italian, so different rules. Yeah. And he said, Panda. And then yeah. He, yeah. He, he walked through the door. And as he was walking through the door, he turned around and he pointed at me again and he went, Originale, like that, and I thought, and I went, and I went, of course, like that, and then, and then he left, and I thought that was the perfect interaction with that man. I, yeah, I, it, so he did, he, yeah, he considered his words and said what he needed to say. Do you agree? I think it is his greatest yeah. design. Um, it's his most versatile, I have to say. Um, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ooh. about this. The panda greatest design. Um, well, go on then. What, what's what's because he kind of. Oh well, I don't know. He didn't. He didn't exactly reinvent the wheel. But when people thought that there was already the most basic means of four wheel transport, he said, "Think again," and gave us something that was even more basic but still as practical and in fact i think more practical and and fantastically durable i mean are, are you not does your heart not sing when you're there in italy now as you often are and you see an original panda just going about its business not at some classic car events or something like that. just going down the shops or going to the local it's, tip or something like towing true. a trailer it's true yeah, one of the best things about the panda it was completely classless you could be a rock star you could be you know delivery driver gelato delivery man the panda suited everybody in italy it really did and they had the roads for it we had because they had narrow little roads so it's absolutely perfect it's almost as, as cool as a four-wheel drive original 500 which of course they never did huh. um you've just celebrated an anniversary though to italy you'll have to remind me how many issues it is is it 300 or 500 or something like that <laughs> It feels like five million, but it's actually only three hundred issues of Auto Italia. Yeah, it's uh, only three hundred, um, Mike. That's that's I, a hell of an yeah, effort. It is, a, it is really. I mean, some some magazines fold after three, so to do three hundred is it is a hell of a achievement. I have to say, and we're we're super proud of it. We really are. So you should be. It's um, because yeah, we've been doing it a while. Because it's it's a very odd thing to say that somebody likes Italian cars because there's no such thing as an Italian car. I mean, what relationship does that original Fiat Panda have to uh, an F50 or an Alfa Romeo Spider or uh, a Maserati SUV, you know, within Italy, mm. just in the same way that people, people say Italian food, don't they? They go, oh, I love Italian food. And I think, well, yeah. which cuisine are you talking about? Are you talking about the stuff that they eat in Sicily or the stuff that they eat yeah. in the foothills of the Alps, which is virtually German food? You know, it, we, yeah, there's no such thing. It, there, there are many cuisines within Italy. They're all very different. They're all, I think, fantastic. And, and it, yeah. you know, I think in terms of food, Italy is the most interesting country in the world. And in terms of cars... It's probably the second most interesting country in the world, after, after of course, these British owls from which we speak. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can't yeah, admit well, that because no, auto no, Italia. Yeah, I can't admit. I also don't agree. But, uh, no, I think uh, I think the Italian car, as you say, it's, it's, there's so many flavours of, of, uh, of car shape, sizes out there. Um, like the gelato. Like the gelato. Well, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. It's 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 hard to pin down your favourite when there are so so many good ones. Well, what um, I was going to ask you, Mike, was what? Yeah. Um, 
what it is that unites them all, what it is that unites an original Fiat Panda with an F50, with an Alpha Spider, with a Fiat Super Mirafiori, is there is there one thing that they all share? I well, I'd have to be do the cliche thing and say say the passion, because it's um, to own an Italian car. I think you've got to be a little bit odd and a little bit you know a little bit out there. I think I think you. It's uh, it's a choice. It's definitely a lifestyle choice. I mean, so many people deride uh, our wonderful Italian cars, um, but there's so many to choose from. And I think um, I think it's, it's, it's the choice. It's a lifestyle choice. What's the best use of an Italian car in a movie? Go on, off the top of your head. Don't think about it. Just answer. Best use of an Italian car in a movie. Um, um, I'd have to. I'd have to. I'd have to go rendezvous. Oh, Dave, what are you doing? You just say that the... I, you say you're reading <laughs> my mind. Yeah, but... Well, the, I'd have to say rendezvous, but of course we don't know if it's real or not. It's it's It could be a Mercedes. It could be a Ferrari 275 GTB. It's 12 it's minutes of... of those, it's, it's 12 minutes of yeah. your life that's well spent, no matter how many times you actually watch it on YouTube. And I could probably... Yeah. I could probably go into my YouTube stats and they'd tell me how many times <laughs> I've watched it and then I'd... You sad loser, probably on the, on the end of it. But well, it's also one of those iconic things you could actually watch, or rather, just listen to. You could actually just listen to the soundtrack and imagine you're, you're in the car because you don't really have to see what the car's doing to hear what it's doing. So that's fantastic. It's almost you could, you could compare it to the double D clutching of the bullet Mustang. You know, there's so many gear changes in that car chase. You can actually close your eyes and you're in it. But uh, no, the 275, that Colombo V12, singing away, that's uh, that's a good use of a car in a movie. Well, the, the problem with identifying that, and often t- the reason I ask it is because I, re- I recently watched um, the remake of uh, the talented... Is it a remake? The talented Mr. Ripley. Was it called Purple Noon originally with Alan Dalon and then they remade it with Matt Damon and Jude Law? It's definitely a remake, yeah. And there's a Lancia that's used used in the remake and I just think it's just so perfect because the film kind of paints this picture of Italy as it was then when everybody looked great and like you just it was La Dolce Vita you just looked at that era yeah everyone from that era I mean how embarrassing are a lot of people's family albums you look back at what you look like in the 80s you look back at what mum and dad look like in the 70s and you just it's you're just laughing at the the notion that people thought yeah what I'm going to do is wear an orange shirt with a brown suit and crazy (laughs) like but that period in the in the in the late 50s and early 60s in Italy Every single person looked fantastic. Street kids, old people, they yeah. look great. The cars look great. The scooters look great. The motorbikes look great. And I don't think they've gone through a time since then when people thought, mm. oh, no, that's all naff. That period in Italian design and manufacture, yeah. whether it be a motorbike, a car, a scooter, a coffee machine, a sofa, a television set. It's like they couldn't do wrong. They couldn't They couldn't make something that was ugly. They tried, but they couldn't. Even stuff that was kind of meant to be a bit ugly still had so much style that it still sort of worked, you know? Well, yeah, it's very true. Even, even, even the villains, even the villains look good in Italian cars. I mean, think of... Um... That nice Mister Mister Fox in his Alfa Romeo in the Day of the Jackal. You know that's a, that's not the best film, but it's it's you know as the guy resprays the car in the forest, I think is absolutely fantastic. Because as an Italian car fan, what I'm also doing, same with the Italian job, is looking at the cars in the background, looking at what's going on in the background. Because you just don't see those cars around in Italy anymore. So it's 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 a fantastic. It was a fantastic period of time, and every, as you say, everything looked cool. I'm terrible for that, watching films from that era, and it's got, like, a fantastic plot, and, like, two of the characters are making this incredibly emotional scene where they're discussing something of huge import, and I'm thinking, oh, look at that Fiat in the background. Is that a 124? <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that, is Absolutely. That... Is, that, is that an Autobianchi A111, <laughs> or is that Fiat 128? <laughs> You're a Fiat man, aren't That's you, Mike? True. 
I am true. I've always known you as a Fiat man. And and, and it's in the same way that when I said I bought a car, you said Alfa Romeo. Because you know that Mm. despite being a massive Lancia fancier, I, in my, it's, for me, it's Alfa. Of all, in my, I mean, just professed a, a huge love of British cars and British car making, and I'm a massive Jaguar fan, but Jaguar's only yeah. three on my list. And Alpha okay. just edges yeah. Citroen into first place, I'd, I'd say, in terms of okay. if, if you put it for me with marks. And, it, and it's because one of the reasons it's Alpha and it's not Ferrari yeah. and it's not Maserati and it's not Lamborghini is because... Mm. I've probably been in a position at once in my life to afford those cars, but, um, yeah. you know, having a huge family and three dogs and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and, and, and here's the other thing about really fast cars, yeah. uh, really, really really fast two-seater cars, motorbikes. It's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like you think, oh, well, a Ferrari, and you go, well, and as you know, I'm a huge Ducati man, and it's like, well, I've got a Ducati. Yeah. It's like, you know, if if I want to have fun yeah. on something that's red and makes a great noise and is Italian, it's over here and it's called a Ducati and it takes up, it's a lot easier to store. It takes up far less space yeah. and it's yeah. equally as idiosyncratic. It makes a, a crazy, the dry clutch ones, makes such an unusual yeah. sound that people are constantly telling you, hey, mate, there's something wrong with your motorbike. <laughs> your motorbike you? I always used to think exactly. when people did that, I'd say, there's lots of things that are wrong with this motorbike bike but that isn't one of them because there <laughs> no, always absolutely. were there always were the yeah. you know the i mean you know i love i love uh, with italian exotica or finding and it doesn't happen now of course but back in the day finding a par on a fabulously exotic italian car or motorcycle that was just on a on a Fiat. It was just off an Uno, or it was, you know, it was off a Panda. It's true. Yeah, Ducati, it's Ducati top, top. used, yeah, Ducati used Panda headlights. Yeah, and all all, yeah. all the relays and all the sort of loads yeah. of bits of the Fiat parts. So you just, yeah, that's just Fiat. Because yeah, I, you know, I remember in in uh, the south of uh, Italy one time, somewhere near Bari, I was rummaging around the motorbike collection, and I found an entire motorbike that had a Fiat one two seven engine. It was the most peculiar thing. That's but, a terrible uh, idea. I know, I know. It's, putting car engines on bikes doesn't really work, but it's it's one of those past bin specials. That is, it really was. But uh, yes, there's many, many things, many, many things you can bore people, bore people to death with, saying, "Oh, that parts from this car, or that parts from that car," because. It's. I mean, I, I'll bore you to death. I, I will quite because you like your English cars, but I'm sure you know that the doors of a Jensen Interceptor are the exactly the same doors of a Fiat 125 Samantha. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> shall I just say? <laughs> shall I just say yes, and we'll just keep going? <laughs> Is that okay? Come on. What's the most? Wise, yes. I, I remember when I start. Right. Okay. How far are we in? Let me just check the time. Uh, 20 minutes. First mention of Top Gear. I remember, but that's not bad for me, as people who listen to this show will be able to tell you. I remember yeah. being in an edit suite in the very early days of my time there. And yeah. Chris Goffey was a really great, yeah, yeah. nice guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was um, in the chair, so to speak. I was lurking at the back of the edit suite waiting to do my bit. And I think, yeah. I think most of us were there because we used to going on one day to do the voiceover stuff for the next week's program Mm. and chris was doing a piece about the sz the zagato alphas the original zagato alphas and he said go on then what are those headlights around off and i i was still a bit nervous and unsure you know because uh i was thinking oh these people are all famous and they're going to get rid of me as soon as they (laughs) realize that i'm rubbish and which is going to be you know very soon but I thought, <laughs> right, I actually know something that none of the rest of them know. And I went, Citroen Ami, like that. And he went, who said that? And I went, me. And it was like, who are you? Oh, I'm Steve Berry. Right. He sort of gave me a funny look. And I thought, mm, yeah. okay. But I was right, okay, wasn't I? You know the headlights the headlights surrounds on those Zagato Alphas were from the uh, Citroen Ami, which was like a 2CV and a party frock. 
Yes. I bet you did. You, well, you say yes. You've just found that out, haven't you? Or did you know that? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure that's correct. I think you're What? That, I, how I dare know. you, sir? <laughs> this is <laughs> this show isn't called Mike's Speed Shop, is it? It's called... <laughs> I'm sure that the headlight surrounds on those, the distinctive sort of brush metal headlight surrounds, were sourced from the humble Citroen Ami. But, the um, from the 19, 1990s P230 SF. Oh, or are we talking even earlier? No, I'm talking the original Zagato, Zagato ones. What oh, was it yeah. called? Yeah, not not the ones that were a 75 with the practicality oh, yeah. of the, the practicality of a 75 removed, lots of ugliness added, and and triple the price. <laughs> well, I, 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 are those cars overrated? Are these? You know, what's wrong with a 75? It, it, the thing is, is a 75 not odd looking enough to start with? It's it's a it's a definite eighties alpha. I I, I will say that. <laughs> I remember I went into the guy who I used to get stuff from, and he used to do work for me. Had been a, a dealer in Bolton, Lancashire, and we were oh, talk yeah. we were talking about the repeated attempts of uh, specialist manufacturers like Alpha and Lancia to sell cars in the UK, and and how they always yeah. looked to the UK and thought the UK would be a good market, as it had been for companies like, well, for the scooter makers, for Vespa and Lambretta, the UK was the number one out export market. We got it. Yep. We got that they were practical and stylish, and we, we bought into that, you know. And so they always sure. thought, the UK's... A, a market that that's interested in style and design and all that, and yet they always seem to come a cropper for some reason. And he exactly. he said he remembered having a showroom where he had uh, a ninety, an Alpha Six, and a seventy five. He said next mm. to each other. He said so. I had three four door rear wheel drive V six engine cars <laughs> with the same badge on them, and then yeah. a convertible and a coupe, and that was it. <laughs> So it was like, who who's in charge of planning here? Which idiot do I need to punch hard in the face? Well, well, here we are, thirty years later, and Alpha still haven't got a showroom full of cars, have they? They've got three models. Yeah, but there was that incredible time in the nineties, mm. and I, I'm involved in a project at the moment that's um, that's uh, to do with nineties touring car, the the super touring era. And, oh, nice. Yeah, and of course it is because it was a fantastic time. Um, I was talking to Tim Harvey, the oh, uh, the racer turned pundit. I always knew Tim would be a good pundit, very well spoken uh, and a naturally yeah. funny guy, which always helps. And yeah. uh, you know, he was saying there was a time in the British Touring Car Championship where there were more paid drivers in that championship than there were in Formula One. <laughs> it was it was in well, the nineties. It was massive. It was all carbon fiber and very very big money and massive TV ratings. So I'm and, not surprised about that at all. And Alfa Romeos, old spice branded Alfa Romeos, going round yeah. and kicking ass big time, weren't they? And for a very while, so, yeah, for a while, selling a lot of cars in the UK. Yeah, the one five five. It sort of rewrote and slightly bent some of the rule book <laughs> back in the day well did the uh, um, i think it, it was the benchmark yeah didn't they uh didn't they throw their toys out the pram Did, didn't they famously tell me if this is true or not they deliberately turned yeah. up at a race knowing that they were going to just turn up get photographed and filmed and then turn around and go home that i don't know did they I do i think they did know. I think they planned. Exactly. They they sort of they they threw a very Italian, stereotypically Italian <laughs> strop, and, and well, said, that was probably, "Yeah, that was probably at the time when they were running those slightly dodgy rear spoilers that came in came as a kit in a one point eight Alpha in the boot that you had to fit. They did that for homologation purposes, and of course, they on the track they wiped the floor of everybody because it added so much aero to the car, and that's when it all got a bit uh, dummy spitty." Yeah, but they were only copying what Plymouth had done in the States, uh, sort of, what, 30 years earlier, where they'd sold yeah. you a, a, a Superbird and all the crazy aero was in the boot, and if you chose to affix it to yeah. the car, you could, and if you didn't didn't fancy having a giant spoiler on the, on the back of the car that you drove to work in, you didn't have to put it on, but, it, you know, it, the yeah. rules are there to be bent, as a mate of mine in motorsport often says to me. They're not to be respected. Well, yeah. He said they're to, they're, be, they're to be bent to just 
at the breaking point and hopefully no yeah. further. Yeah, well, that's called the unfair advantage. There's a book written all about that. <laughs> and it, it is. It's finding that advantage of your, your competitors haven't and exploiting it until you get caught. Very interesting. But not as interested as why, with the choice that you have, um, yeah. having worked most of your professional life uh, uh, in the Italian car business, um, you retain your enthusiasm for relatively humble fiats. Please explain. That's, that's because um, that's because basically I grew, grew up with them. I think it goes back to my first ever cars, which were humble Fiat's. You know, Fiat little Fiat 128 you could pick up for a couple of hundred quid, rag it to death, throw some nice wheels and a nice steering wheel on it, and you think you were Mickey Biazzi on somewhere. It was because the engines revved all day, the bodywork fell apart. But, you know, you could go and get another one for a couple of hundred quid, and that's where I cut my teeth. On, was just early Fiat's. I've owned Lancia's, I've owned Alphas, but I keep coming back to Fiat's because uh, I think probably because I've had more fun in them, more fun in Fiat's growing up as a as a young driver than in anything else. Um, so that's it. I think um, you know, sad, sadly enough, I've even got a Fiat number plate on my car. So yeah, I'm a died in the wall Fiat fan, and I don't have to apologise for that because I think the Fiat back catalogue, back to eighteen. 1899 was their first car. It's pretty good. I mean, there's some strange cars in there as well. But uh, I think I think Fiat, Abarth, all of that uh, sort of um, <clears throat> from the stable. There's some fantastic cars to be had, and so many so many tuning possibilities as well. They're not just normal road cars, but you can make them go. We were talking about um, modern cars a couple of weeks ago, and hmm. I mentioned that I'd had a floodlit circuit experience in a new golf which yeah. was so unbelievably fast that me and the guy the guy who was with me is palomani's done a lot of historic racing and we couldn't yeah. stop saying it's a golf as we hurtled around this track and, and it's a vw golf it had it had the performance of a supercar from 10 years from from a decade previously and yet right. it had four doors a big boot you know it had all the attributes of a vw golf but yeah. with early 2000s supercar performance i think it was an r32 or it might have even been the one after that and yeah. uh, it was just so fast but, well, <laughs> yeah, well, but here's the thing. I ended yeah. up telling him, because he said to me, we ended up agreeing, as middle-aged men tend to do at the end of the day, that speed is about perception. And the, the yeah. one thing that disappointed us about this car was that even though we were doing these vast speeds, most yeah. of the time it didn't feel like it. And he said to you, which car have you... And straight away, I said, right, okay, the car that went the slowest but seemed the fastest, Tony Castle yeah. Miller. All right. Yeah. A Fiat yeah. Arbath. You'd know which one it was. The one where they couldn't fit the engine in the engine base, so the boot lid had to be propped open all the time. Yeah, his white little 1000 TCR. So we're going down these lanes somewhere in the middle of England yeah. in this tiny yeah. car. This tiny car, yeah. two burly men in a tiny car. <laughs> the windscreen is about three inches from my face. The car has no front at all, really. So if you have an accident, the accident, you're going to be right there. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be right in on the action, right? So Very it's happening nice. right there. And this engine sticking out the back of this little Fiat Arbar thing yeah. was screaming, absolutely screaming. The exhaust seemed to be a trumpet <laughs> rather, rather than a conventional sort of, you know, exhaust system that you might have on a car. It just seemed Very to true. be yeah. a megaphone, a, a, a method of amplifying the noise that the engine made rather than controlling it. That's and very true. If, you, if, if, if your Arbar's quiet, then it's, it's broken. <laughs> Well, as he said to me afterwards, we weren't going that fast. And I thought, yeah, we weren't. We weren't. But it was the perception because of this, because of everything about it, the cramped nature of the cockpit, the proximity of yeah. anything that you might hit, the tininess of the car, the, the, the whole thing. It gave a real experience. The perception of speed was heightened by almost everything about that car. And so, as we say, even though we weren't going that fast – by God, it felt like it. <laughs> no, 
Absolutely, which is why I'm a big advocate of big twin carburetors on engines. It, you know, you may not be making much progress, but you definitely sound as if you are, and it's just evocative. It's the uh, you can hear with those little cars. You can hear what they're doing all the time. You might be in a baked bean can with a hundred horsepower, but gosh, you feel like you're doing a thousand miles an hour. So, as we've said, three hundred editions of Auto Italia. There must be yeah some incredible experiences down the years tell us which ones stick in your mind when have you stood there with your camera in hand because you are very talented photographer great photographer you've been doing it for a long time you're really good at it and that's principally what you do but tell me about a day when you were just stood there with your camera in hand and thought i can't even believe that i'm here and that this is actually happening well that's that's quite easy that's quite easy because one of the most bonkers thing we ever did was flying to the Nürburgring and taking out of the museum a privately owned Ferrari 250 GTO and, again, owned by the same guy, a Ferrari 250 LN. And this was in November, probably 2004. It was minus three. It, there was frost on the ground. And we then proceeded to drive on the Nordschleife when it was not open to the public, and do tracking shots of these two cars. I mean, the GTO, that's probably $50, $50 million now, and the LM probably $30 million, something like that. And those two cars, I mean, the owner wasn't even there. He wasn't even at the photo shoot. He just let us have access to these cars, and we then drove them around the North Life. As you know, it's a massive circuit. It took us half an hour to do one lap. And that's with the cars locking up the wheels going downhill and spinning the wheels going uphill. And it was just phenomenal. It was, as you say, it was one of those moments when I was sat in the back of the camera car looking at what we were doing and going, this will never be repeated. And to be honest, we've done a few GTOs in the past, but not in minus three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the worst thing we could have done was crash one into what into the other. You know, then we would have had to disappear for a very long time. But luckily, it was um, it was one of those one of those photo shoots that just went down in our history anyway. It uh, was just an absolute pleasure to do. One thing that people will will say immediately, many people would say immediately, perhaps not car people, would seize on is, "What have you crashed?" You know, I mean, was there? I, so I'll I'll play devil's advocate and say, was there at the back of your mind a nagging voice going, "Please God, don't anything go wrong. Please, please don't <laughs> don't anything go well, wrong." Well, there's 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 always that nagging doubt, but you you try and surround yourself with people um, who won't crash cars. You know, at, at the time, our driver Roberto Giordanelli, who was driving one of the cars, a very trusted uh, Ferrari mechanic, was driving uh, the other car, and my father was you know driving the camera car. So if you don't trust your father not to throw you out the back of a car in Germany, then uh, that's a good start. So yeah, you try and surround yourself by people who don't get too excited with uh, this kind of machinery. And you crack on, you just get it done. And um, it's, it's only telephone numbers at the, at the end of the day, but obviously we're fully insured. But that's, um, well, I, I've, been asked so, about, yeah. I've been asked about that by people, and I've said the com- there was yeah. a week there was a week where I drove three cars and the least yeah. valuable car was worth a quarter of a million pounds. And so yeah. when I'd started to get access to these kinds of vehicles... I was nervous of what would happen. Like the first time, you know, I got a brand new motorbike to test ride, which was probably worth about yeah. seven or eight thousand pounds. I thought, oh, what if something happens to it? Because I then thought, oh, how long would it? You start thinking, right, how long would it take me to pay back seven and a half thousand pounds if I did this, if I gave them X amount? And then all of a sudden you're in yeah. something that's worth a million and you think, right, well, OK, there's no way. Yeah. That I, there's no way that I can even start to, to, well, to pay for no, this. It, it, well, you, you get to a million, and then you're driving something that's three and a half million, and then you're driving something that's worth 12, 12 million. But it's only worth 12 million if an alien comes down and steals it. You know, if you break it, it can be fixed. If you bend it, it can be fixed. Nothing is worth 12 million pounds that can't be fixed. It's whether it physically disappears. I mean, that's that's the scary thing. But um, we do these things in such controlled environments that uh, things don't disappear. Yeah. You're a photographer. We've mentioned that. I am. (laughs) 
What's the best looking Italian car? Which one hasn't got a bad angle? Because there are all kinds of cars that look great, like, you know, like a Stratos from the front. Nothing looks as good from the front as a Lancia Stratos. I, I happen to think that very few cars look as good from the side as my Alfa Romeo 2000 Veloce Spider. But what car, what Italian car just looks good from every single, it hasn't got a bad angle on it? You'd be the man to ask, so go on. Which one is it? That's that's a, that's a good one, actually. Um, if if we're talking Ferraris, I'd have to go down the route of a Ferrari uh, 250 short wheelbase, I think. I think they're better looking than the GTO. Uh, the GTO's bonnet's really long, but I think the 250 short wheelbase, from side, back, rear three-quarter, front three-quarter, I think it's a fantastic-looking car. But if we're talking Alfa Romeo, I don't, I've got to do the cliche and go down the the Tipo Thirty Three Stradale route. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I think that's still you know one of the most beautiful cars ever to grace the planet. And I think they only made one prototype and eighteen road cars. But yeah, I, I, up there would be the Alfa Thirty Three Stradale. I have to say. Let's talk about underrated Italian cars. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like me, you're a big fan of the 164, the Alpha 164. I think you are. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think they're even now. I think they're quite a, a very stylish car. And I just looked round recently at prices and thought, bloody hell! Because <laughs> I remember, I remember where you could buy them for a few hundred quid, and there were there seemed well, to be, yeah. a, and I did, and I, I did buy a few of them for a few hundred quid, and, and ran them until they broke irretrievably i thought and then threw them away and bought another one but those days it would yeah. seem a long gone and and the the prices seem to have firmed up quite considerably of late well that's the, the rareness they just don't exist anymore sadly i mean so many of the v6s were broken for the engines the engines went into other things stratos replicas and all kind of other things but um yeah it's uh, it's down to rare the sort of rareness now um, you know, they just they just don't exist anymore. I mean, I won't go on about Fiat Chromas and Saab 9000s because the, the Alpha was always the best best looking of the four. I mean, when was the last time you saw a Lancia Thema? All based on the same chassis, but it's the 164, I think, had the longevity in its design. What about the Montreal? Go on. Well, that's a tough one. I, I must admit, I'm not a massive fan of the Montreal. Well, again, I, the, the reason I mention yeah. it, Mike, is because it seems yeah. just lately that people have really cottoned on to the Montreal, uh, which for many years had, had suffered from the notion that it looks a lot faster than it is. Yeah. Ultimate example of that, VW Carmen Gear. Best looking car, one of the best looking cars ever made. Horrible to drive, but I'm not saying the Montreal was one of the best looking cars ever made. It's a, I, I happen to think it's a great looking car, but I think yeah. that the the its popularity now and the popularity it's experienced in just the last five years, um, flies in the face of what's been said about it previously, which was, uh, it look yeah, it looks okay, but it's just too heavy and too slow to be taken seriously. Well, the engine just didn't really produce the power you want to do from a quad cam, you know, Alpha 33 derived V8. And it was only, it was only on the 105 chassis. And it always, to me, always looked like it was tiptoeing. Uh, the Montreal was a little bit high on the suspension. So, you know, first thing you do is lower it by an inch, put nice springs on it and um, get rid of the fuel injection and get carbs on it. And then, then you've got yourself, you know, a, a nice car, free up a bit of horsepower, make it handle, and then you've got a nice-looking car. I think it's a, a good-looking car from the front. I mean, again, we've had this front and back and rear sort of conversation. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a strong... You know what you're looking at when you're looking at Montreal. It's nothing... You, you can't mistake it for anything else. Well, yeah, so. you can. A Citroen SM. Because I think, I think the two from the same era... <laughs> well, yeah, they're from the same era. And the, the styling is kind of... 70s Gucci flash, isn't it? It's they're often in those kind of uh, the, the colours that you'd see in expensive yeah. lifestyle adverts from that time for real to real tape recorders and stuff like that. There's a lot of bronze, there's a lot of gold, there's a lot of those sort of rich, opulent colours, which do seem to be making a comeback now in cars. And I think one of the one of the greatest. Um, aspects of the Italian auto industry was their use of colour when everybody else was 
putting out boring, either just navy blue or I remember we had a we had a, a Ford Escort estate when I was about eleven or twelve, and it was yeah. kind of it was kind of we I tell you what it was this, we had a a washing up bowl in the sink so as not to scratch the sink. <laughs> well, when everybody got, well, when everyone got stainless steel sinks, they realised that if you just yeah. threw the crockery in there and all the cutlery, it scratched the hell out yeah. of it and it looked awful. So what people would then do is go to the market and get a Get for a pound a plastic a plastic basin <laughs> or bucket and put it in the sink and it looked it, it looked yeah. awful but it stopped it stopped from getting scratched yeah. and that was the same colour as our car and I thought mm. <laughs> whereas Italian cars always seem to yeah. be the use of colour was much more imaginative and much more suitable and I see those the new breed of the Fiat five hundred batting about and although yeah. I don't see that much to recommend it in the car it is what it is it's a cheap city runabout mainly for young women yes that's sexist but also true mainly for young women in in that environment the colors on the cars are so much more imaginative than they are on the minis which would seem to directly compete with them i see all sorts of pastel colors and kind of vivid purples and yellow and apple green and all that sort of stuff and i think back to some of the great italian cars that i've you know cut out of magazines and pinned on the wall and and they've been those colors they've been apple green they've been crazy orange or purple or bronze or you know their use of and it's and i think people might say well oh this it's very sort of surface this it's you know you're just going on about you can just paint a car another color it doesn't make it a great car but i just think it's part of the italian approach to building a car yeah a bike a scooter, a sofa, a washing machine, or whatever it is. They think, well, even though it's a utility object, which people are mainly using just to get themselves from A to B, there's no yeah. reason why it shouldn't be painted a colour that r- raises your spirits when you walk towards it in the street. You think, yeah, that looks great, even if it is just essentially basic transport. Yep. Very true, and uh, the, the, I think the best manufacturer, or rather designer, for doing that was Bertone. Oh, absolutely! You know, the, with the Lamborghini Miura or the Fiat X19, they come came in absolutely bonkers. Um, Kermit greens and bright oranges and purples and well, and, yeah, I've had two X19s. I had two X19s. Yeah. One was Kermit green, as you just said, yeah. and the other one was mm. purple. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> But it's that car. There was so much to recommend that car, and there was so much to not recommend that car. And and people people have maligned it unfairly down the years. But I, what I would choose to do as a former owner who looks back Mm. fondly on on both the X One Nines, even though they completely rotted away and just fell apart. The interiors were incredibly fragile in those cars. I was forever the seats just came apart because I was because I sat on them. They, it's like they weren't designed to be. They look great. The seats in the yeah. X One Nine in because in, I had one of the one one of the ones I had was a very late one, and the seats yeah. look great. They, they this is going to sound terribly pretentious, but they wouldn't have been out of place in a Lamborghini or a Ferrari from like you know the early the groovy sort of seventies period. Yeah. But they just fell apart. They just, they just, they just unravelled themselves. It was like so, so annoying. And then, of course, Toyota went. Well, that's a really good idea, and made the MR. And they said, "But you need to fix this, and you need to fix that, and you need to fix this." There, there's the MR two. And you thought, yeah, it's so yeah, yeah, but it's so frustrating that the the Italians would have this great idea an affordable mid-engine car with pop-up headlights and a targa roof and all that sort of stuff fantastic what a great idea but then the execution lets them down and the japanese who haven't had a, an original idea since the 9th century the involuted curve go go oh yeah what a great idea we'll just we'll just make that but we'll make it all work you know we won't put any imagination into it we'll just We'll just put work into it. We'll steal your idea and we'll make it work. <laughs> I suppose. Would you rather have? 
which would you rather have, a Toyota MR2 or, a, or an X19? Depends if you want to get where you're going. <laughs> and you don't want the you don't want the engine to literally fall out, which 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 wasn't powerful enough, by the way. They should have they should have given that car. It, when you say what they should have done, you, you realise that at the end of the day, what they're doing is they are trying to make as much money from the sale of each car as they possibly can. They're not building something yeah. fabulous for you because they like you and, you know, or whatever. They're building something they think <laughs> they think people will buy. And if they could use an yeah. existing engine or they can use existing headlights or yeah. suspension components or whatever, then they will. And if they can make a, a, a pressing simpler and and more cost effective they will even though for even for a few you know, the number of times that people have said to me particularly with italian cars they've said for a few extra lira they could have just made that better and i say yeah but if you apply that principle to the whole car you could yeah, double the price double the price of the car you know yeah absolutely yeah the x19 was was sadly massively undeveloped because well, Bertone built it and Fiat didn't, and Bertone charged Fiat a lot of money. So I think Fiat lost interest quite early on in that car, which is why it never ever got developed. It was a real shame. It was crying out for a, a 1600, or you know, you could even put a 1600 twin cam in the back. But yeah, it was underpowered, but still achingly good looking. The early ones with the little chrome bumpers are, are just so pretty. But but they're fetching decent money now. It's nice to see the old Fiat's actually climb, climbing the ladder of value these days because they're getting rare. But people are looking after them, which is good to see. We had talked about Italian cars in movies, and I remember the X19 being used in a film, which I think was called, and it's not what you not what you think it means, Caravan to Vacares. It didn't mean a caravan holiday. <laughs> I think they meant caravan in the traditional Arabic crossing the desert yeah, yeah, yeah. sense of caravan. And the opening sequence, I think they had a pre-production. I remember it being bright yellow. Uh, X19 and I thought that's pretty cool that is I'm going to get one of them and then you know (laughs) many years later I did and frankly it was it was a little bit bit of a disappointment but I I consoled myself with with the with the idea that they did it that they didn't they said why shouldn't people have because mid-engined who'd ever thought that the the regular people would be in a position to buy a two-seater mid-engine car. You had to be rich to buy something like that. And I have been talking uh, to somebody else about another car company of the similar size to Fiat who considered doing something like that, but just came to the conclusion that it was kind of too much for the for the general public you know yeah. they'd, they'd be frightened of a mid-engine car and it was <laughs> whereas fiat yeah and the the italian the one thing about the italian car industry is they've never been frightened have they they've always said what about this and sometimes it's been completely disastrous and sometimes yeah. it's it's been enormously successful well but, yeah but also what about this i mean the the fiat 124 was the, i do believe the first car that had disc brakes all around you know, their bonding to the windscreen was was you know way way ahead of everybody else. So, I think the what about this thing is actually a fantastic place to be, really, because you get so many good ideas um, out of the out of the designers. You know, give them give them a blank sheet and off you go. One of the things about the magazine that's always interested me is where you actually put the line as to what is and isn't an Italian car. So, there's yeah. a car that I've mentioned there, the VW Carmen Gear. Yeah. So. I mean, <laughs> that's not an Italian car, is it? But it no, looks not like any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> yeah, well, well, okay. Well, what it looks like it did because Gear decided it should look like that. It wasn't Carmen yeah. and it wasn't VW. So the thing that the car was sold on, it wasn't that car wasn't sold on performance. It wasn't sold on economy. It was sold on looks. It looked amazing. Yeah. And that was Gear who yep. made it look amazing. So not a Karma Gear. All right, I'll give you another, for, for instance. Dita Marcel Pantera, okay. Italian car or not Italian car? Well, that's, it's an Italian car with an American engine. You know, it's an Italian chassis, Italian design, built in Italy. They just went down the route of big horsepower V8. So that's an Italian car. You could argue, is a Pagani Zonda an Italian car? It's owned by an Argentinian, uses, I think, what they Mercedes Mercedes engines. 
but that's built in Italy. So I, I think fundamentally, if, if the majority of the car is built in Italy, and that has to go towards it being an Italian car. Well, we've got the. Uh, I was working towards the biggest question, I think, in yeah. the history of motoring with regard to this, which is original Bugatti, Italian car or not Italian car? Well, he was Italian. Of course he was Italian. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You know, he started off being an Italian, had Italians with the French, and now obviously the Germans own the company. But it's it, it, they flip-flop across the board of Bugatti. To, nowadays, no, I don't think the Bugatti is Italian in any way, shape or form. But in the 90s, with the EB110, that was built in Modena. Um, that was an Italian Bugatti. And then you go even further back, then the Type 35, that was a French Bugatti. So it's, <laughs> yeah, he may have been Italian, but the company has changed hands so many times. It is now well and truly German. I What's the most exciting? I've, I've got an idea of, of what you'll say, because when I... Well, I've asked you these questions over the last sort of forty-five minutes or so. You've uh, you've stolen my thunder, but and I've, I've got a feeling you're going to do it again. What's the most exciting? What's the most exciting Italian car of recent times? Go on, say the one I was going to say. Oh crikey, that's 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 a that's a tough thing to say actually. A modern Italian car. Um, well, I've got two really. The you know, an Alpha Four C is very exciting because it wants to kill you all the time. I thought they got rid of I thought they got rid of cars like that. I I, I remember no, a time no. when we'd frequently getting cars like particularly TVRs, which would the first thing they'd do is try and kill you. <laughs> then if you survived that bit, they were quite fond of it. You think really you're gonna you're gonna do that? Are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought cars well, had stopped doing that. No, no, they've, they've, they've built in the danger into the 4C straight from the factory. It's, it's it's hard to drive the thing in a straight line and try and go to point to point over on a country road without breaking out into a sweat. It's, uh, it's a hard car to drive. It needs geometry and steering and damper alterations to actually make the thing really fun to drive. Otherwise, it's, <laughs> it's extremely stressful. Um, but now the other car of recent times is the Alpha, the Alpha Julia, the new Julia, the be it a two litre or that massive 2.7 V6. Mm. They, they are so nice to drive. They're, they're fantastic. Pro- proper, proper, decent rear-wheel drive Alphas. And the other, the other thing about them as well is that pouring over one, they are so well screwed together. And that was always the accusation that was levelled at the Italian car industry, and particularly at Alpha, that they look great, they sounded great, but you know, if you started to like pull on the door trim, it it start to come away, or like I say, the seats, the stitching would unravel. It was it wasn't the idea; it was the execution that was always the charge that was levelled at the Italian auto industry. And when I look at a modern Italian car, whether it be, uh, and you know, we can have that discussion about what what is and isn't Italian, whether it's a a Lambo or a Ferrari or a Maserati or a, an Alfa yeah. or a Fiat. Um, and oof, blimey, is a Fiat even Italian now? Hmm, let's not go there. Right, we haven't got time. Maybe another day. But, but they are so well put together. The design's still yeah, there. The design cues are yeah. still there. An Italian car still looks like an Italian car, but it's screwed together like a German car, which is probably good for everyone. Yeah, I think so. I think they've come leaves and bounds over the last few years. But, um, you know, on, onwards and upwards, really, we've got there's obviously the excitement, which is the uh, merger with uh, with Persia. So hopefully we have some new models. But Alfa Romeo are crying out for some new models at the moment. So it's exciting times, I think. Are Lancia ever going to come back in a... In a do, do, I mean, for me, and for a lot of people, Lancia is... What happened with Lancia is... is Tragic, really. You know, yeah. along with Citroën, I think they are the most innovative. I think they vie with Citroën for the most innovative manufacturer. So many things that were done for the first time were done by Lancia. And we, we could be here all day just talking about the innovation, yeah, the innovation yeah. and the genius of, of Jano and, and all that sort of stuff. But mm. um, I'm going to quickly ask you, because I want to come round to your book, and we haven't got much time. Mm. 
Do you think Lancia are going to have a good comeback? Could could they not be positioned as a sort of uh, like a, a manufacturer of of sort of elegant sports cars? Maybe like I'm trying to think what would they they would be the equivalent of in a, from another manufacturer, but I, I I can't, and so I wonder if that's why there isn't a place for Lancia in the modern motor environment. Yeah, with with my heart, I'd say I'd, I'd love Lancia to come back any day of the week, but. Realistically, with um, you know, with FCA's portfolio at the moment, I, I, I don't see where they fit. They they really don't seem to, to fit. You know, they're the, none of the Italians go rallying anymore, so they can't you know sell cars off that success. Maserati, you know, Maserati are doing the big saloon cars, and they've got a new sports car in the, in the line. Obviously, Ferrari do their own thing. Um, Alfa Romeo. You know, that's uh, they're trying to make it an even more premium brand, uh, but what they're lacking is a, an entry level. You've got Abarth, they need new models. Mm. Fiat, they need more, new models. If you introduce Lancia with new models as well, it's just too, it's just too much. I, I sadly don't don't see Lancia coming back. I think um, I think it will it will disappear, which is such a sad thing to say. Enough talk of the future. Let's talk about the past, when uh, e- everyone was slimmer and looked better and more stylish and cars were cool <laughs> and people wore sunglasses after dark and weren't ridiculed for it. <laughs> and the Italian small-block Chevy, which I heard it described as, the Fiat Twin Cam, reigned supreme. Mm-hmm. For, for how long, Mike? How long was it in production? It was like 25 years nearly or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, 1969 all the way up to the early 2000s, I'd say. I'd say one of the very final cars with that engine would have been the last year Kappa, last year Delta HPE, that kind of thing. So, yeah, early 2000s, I'd say. Yeah, so quite a long time, really, in so, all the iterations. So you and your father have, have put out a book. I'm not going to attempt the pronunciation of the title. Please, please do it for me. Well... It depends where you come from. We say it's Bialbero. If you're Italian, it's probably Bialbero, which basically means two branches, which is two cams. That's where the uh, that's where the name comes from. Two sticks, basically, two branches. It's got Bero to be one of. It's got to be in the top ten engines of all time, internal combustions of all time, hasn't it? With like, well, I'd the, say so. Yeah, with like the you know the small block Chevy V8, the Jaguar inline six, um, you know yeah. the uh, I don't know what from what from Mercedes and Mercedes inline six I suppose as well, but it's one of the great engines and featured in so many cars. Must have been a hell of a job to put a book together that incorporated everything that the twin cam did in its long career. Yeah, very much so. It's it's been in I mean so many different. Variety, Lancia, Alpha, Fiat, Abarth, you know, you, they were fitted with in Morgans at one point. It's just a, a very versatile, easy to maintain, cheap to fix engine. And it won so many championships, being at World Sports Car, be it Rally, um, God knows what. But uh, it was just a fantastic engine and um, shows by the longevity and the actual the, the, the so many cars it was put into. I think it's a it's a fabulous engine and um, yeah, it's a pleasure to do such a such a big book. I mean, it's three hundred pages, nine hundred images, and uh, I think it, I think we've pretty much covered every single model. I mean, it's not just about the engine in the book; it's about the cars that the engines were fitted to, obviously. So it's not it's not an engine guide; it's uh, where the engine was used. So it's actually fascinating. I mean, some of the stuff I've read in there, I didn't, you know, I hadn't previously known before. So it's definitely an education. It's a good looking book. I have, I have to give you that. It is good looking as well. It's you, you've got a challenge, haven't you, as a Brit, when you take it on the Italian uh, Italian auto industry as a subject. You have a duty to at least attempt to inject some of the style and some of the flair, the brio, to use the sort of the cliched terms that they do. And I think uh, you've done a great job. What's what's exciting next? Something fabulous from uh, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Maserati? What's next? What's great? What should we be looking out for? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that, the new Maserati to come out, I have to say. Um, Maserati desperately need... Obviously, they've come out with their MT20 sports car, um, which I, I must admit I've not seen in the flesh. But I, I'm I'm waiting for the next Gran Turismo or the Alfieri, be it hybrid. I think Maserati need to uh, need, need to come up with something 
quite sexy again. I think the uh, the Ghibli and the Quattro Porto, they're just they're, they're they're nice enough cars to drive, but they're just not sexy. Um, so yeah, I think Maserati need to get a bit sexier with their designs. Right, that's a great place to finish. We're uh, we're um, at the end of the hour. Thank you so much for doing it. I hope it wasn't too painful, Mike. And uh, <laughs> no, like I say, the the book looks amazing. What I've seen of it, and um, you know. It, it like a, uh, you know I, when I saw the stuff for it, I thought, wow, that must have been a major undertaking, and it just it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's taken taken best part of a year to put that together and to to proof it properly and get all the images collated. And most of the images are from the Auto Teller archives, and that's, that's yeah, that's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah, but you still obviously had to you know go through it all, and yeah, I, I, is it going to be available in translation? Are you going to are you going to do that, or is it just going to be in English? It's it's to be honest, it's uh, it's just in English at the moment. Um, it's not a massive print run, um, you know. Otherwise, I'd have a I'd have a warehouse full of books for twenty years. But uh, you know, to be honest, with you know this this book was sold was sold there, it's doing very well, and we almost think well, we're on to the next book. To be honest, what's that? Uh, no hanging around. Um, well, we're thinking about it's what's going to be an Alfa Romeo book, Ooh. Um, possibly. Yeah, it's not going to be a, a normal history of Alfa Romeo pot boiler. It's going to be some. We're going to choose possibly the Alfetta, the Transaxle era, Alfetta GTV six seventy five SZs, and and sort of finish up with a four C. It's going to be kind of a how to make your Alfa better book, I think. Right. So why fit this suspension to that car? What it does? Why is it better than standard kind of thing? It's going to be slightly nuts and bolts, but not too dweeby. That's it for another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. If you want to listen to it again, don't worry, there's always the podcast, or you can listen to it here on Fab. There's a repeat on Saturday. See you next week.